welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventurers, welcome to episode 56 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We put out episodes every other Thursday. My name's Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And Scott, today we're doing a little bit of a, a little bit of a level back. Yeah, some wibbly wobbly tiny wimey <laughs> kind of stuff here. These are the episodes where we get to highlight some older games. We're going to talk about them through the recent adventures, our feature review. What do we agree on, like five years or more? Yeah, I think five years is pretty good there. With the number of games that are coming out pretty much on a weekly basis, it always ends up that five years is a long shelf life anymore because there's so much coming out and everyone's playing the new hotness. So five years... A lot of people forget what comes out five years ago. Yeah, it's really easy for really good games to get kind of forgotten. That is very, very true with the amount that's coming out. Well, in any event, adventures, we hope you enjoy the Level Back episode. So whether you're in your car at work or constructing your very own time machine, we really appreciate being a part of your day. Indeed. Scott, when I used to wait tables, I used to get these bad dreams. Everybody that has waited tables at some point in their life has had the dream where you're in the weeds. You know what I mean when I say in the weeds? I, I have a pretty good idea here. I mean, the enemy's out in the woods. You don't know exactly where they're at. You're kind of sneaking around. Okay, that none uh, of that happens waiting tables. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. Wrong weeds. Okay, so it's a situation where, like, you get three tables sat at the same time. They're real picky. You just can't keep up, right? You're falling behind. You're giving terrible service. Every Buddy, I know that has waited tables has had that dream where they're in that position. And it, it is the worst dream because not only is it like the nightmare scenario at work, but you wake mm -hmm. up and you realize that you didn't get paid for, for doing all that work while you were dreaming. And right. then you probably have to go to work. So it's just the, the nightmare scenario. Something's happened to me lately. Okay. Um, are you going back to Red Lobster? Actually, I, I might, but uh, <laughs> as I've been editing these episodes, every Wednesday night I go to bed and I have this – or I, like I wake up on Thursday I'm like, what if I forgot? What if I did something? What if I left in like a 10-minute blank where I was supposed to put in a segment or something? I had this this nightmare scenario that uh, that I've done something wrong in the editing pro – I listen to them ahead of time, so I, I know it's not going to happen. Right. Whew, I, I get nervous every time that somebody's going to shoot me a message like, hey, why did you have uh, dead air for five minutes in the middle of the episode? <laughs> but but the good thing about that is we know people are listening. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Scott, this is timely going with Level Back today because there are a ton of old games getting the new treatment. I'm going to lead it off with Mombasa coming back as Sky Mines. This is an Alexander Pfister game, popular game Mombasa, kind of being forgotten to the sands of time. But the original had a theme that uh, it included in slavery and exploitation. So it looks like that's getting changed up a bit. They're going to go with a space-ish space theme and they're calling okay. it Sky Mines. Keep an eye out for that one. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what was it? I think I heard something about Castles of Burgundy. Yes, yes. What'd you hear? 
from what I understand, it's getting the Awakened Realms treatment. Do you know something about that? Yeah, they're apparently going to be putting this one on GameFound. So GameFound is the competitor, so to speak, of, of Kickstarter. Right. Kickstarter had their own thing going, and board games, as you all know, are very prevalent on Kickstarter. GameFound was originally a pledge manager. So if, if you pledged to something on Kickstarter, you didn't get it yet. That company has to have a pledge manager somewhere where everyone who pledged has to go in and make an account and say what they want, pick on, pick all their add-ons, all that stuff, and, you know, right. add to their pledge, do, do whatever they're going to do with it. Originally, GameFound was the pledge manager that Awaken Realms used. So when oh, I pledged okay. to Lords of Hellas, when I pledged to Nemesis, I had to use their pledge manager, which was called GameFound. They fleshed that out a bit. They turned it into its own thing. They're like, you know, what? why don't we just skip the Kickstarter and make this its own thing, which I'm sure gamers are aware has been the case for the last year and a half or two years. And it looks like GameFound is going to be getting Castles of Burgundy, a super mega deluxe edition. That sounds pretty cool there. Now, kind of going with the old um, level back bit here, I did see that Viticulture is getting the World Cooperative expansion. Oh, tell now, me about it. Those that have been with us, we reviewed that back in episode 30. And guess what? That was another level back episode. Yes, it was. Um, but with this here, you cooperate with members of your extended winemaking family in various asymmetric regions around the world in viticulture world, cooperative expansion, as you try to achieve global recognition, balance the management of your individual vineyard with the combined effort of your fellow players to gain influence within the region. Okay, okay. Now, from what I understand, using the new game board, tiles, tokens, event cards, combined with the original vineyard maps mm -hmm. and the game cards, you have six years to achieve the two conditions necessary for victory in one of the selected regions. One, each player must reach 25 victory points. And two, the shared influence token must reach the end of the influence track. Okay, a little co-op going. Yeah, yeah. So the cooperation objectives and asymmetry in this expansion are similar to that of Spirit Island in Orleans Invasion. Okay. Uh, so, but the one thing here is that this isn't one of those where I'm just going to go grab it. You have to have the core game. So that is required to play this expansion. Okay. And what about other my other stuff? Uh, the other ones are actually compatible with this expansion. I mean, I, I would expect no less from Jamie and those that hive mind over there at Stonemire Games. I mean, they do an amazing job with things. So any way that they can incorporate everything together, they're going to do it. You know what? I really like Viticulture. It's it's one that doesn't get to the table for me because, well, I don't have my copy anymore. And frankly, I have friends that have it. So if I'm going to play it, it's going to be because somebody else suggests it. But it's on BGA. So I just play yes. it on BGA. It's like, well, I'm not going to host the game day and have everybody over to play the game that I've been playing all this while anyway but this is something that i feel like you know what i wouldn't mind giving that a try you know remove the competitive aspect and turn it into a co-op i'm not huge on co-ops but in the viticulture world i'll give that a whirl i know what you mean because i mean a lot of times whenever i play that i just get into that whole thing of oh i should have done that or oh they took that thing you know our uh patented damn it moments in games <laughs> so it'd be interesting to play that game and kind of remove those from the whole experience of doing it and seeing what that would be like. That would be pretty interesting to do that. King Scott, do you have a favorite race in Cosmic Encounter? 
Uh, I haven't played it enough to really get a favorite race or anything because there are just so many races that you can play. I in. guess that's a good point. Boy, that's yeah. a game that could have its own show, couldn't it? We could we could create the Cosmic Encounter show and like you could have an episode and just pick two of the right. Like we're going to focus on the humans and the Macron and that's going to be the whole the whole episode coming up with all the kind of niche scenarios and things that could happen. And, you know, some races are really good at negotiating. Some aren't uh, just there we go. Huge. I've, I've got a plan here. Uh-uh. Uh, 2023. <laughs> mm-hmm. That'll be the year of Cosmic Encounter. Each episode that we release in 2023 will just be another race. They'll, no, I'm now, cutting Now, granted, that. we'd have to release one probably every week. Every three days? Every two weeks. What are they? They're well, up to maybe, like 100 yeah. races. <laughs> well, there's about to be more. We've got a Cosmic Encounter expansion coming. If you've conquered the stars in Cosmic Encounter, you've weathered the storms, defended against incursions, forged alliances, engaged in countless conflicts, and established dominion for eons. Or perhaps you've done none of those things, and Cosmic Encounters only recently entered your life. Either way, there's still the ever-burning question, what comes next? Well, this comes next, and according to FFG, it's going to be epic from their page. Well, I would expect them not to say anything else other than it's going to be epic. You know what? I think it was the Cabal saying that they don't like it whenever a game describes itself as epic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> You've got a lot to live to live up to that one. Oh, well, Tony T. Like uh, you see a Kickstarter and they be like, "Oh, you know, a new classic from X Y Z Games," and it's like, let's leave it to the players to decide if your game is a new classic. <laughs> you know, that's not for you to decide. Yeah, every band would. T- this is a song for the ages. Yes, <laughs> the best concert ever. Now we got Cosmic Odyssey coming. It's a massive expansion, bigger than anything cosmic that came before it. Aside, of course, from the base game, according to the page, it packs enough wallop to enhance your wild and wonderful space shenanigans for countless games to come. Even if you don't own any of the previous expansions, Odyssey brings loads of aliens, variants, and brand new. Get ready, campaign mm-hmm. mode to the table. Oh, oh, oh. Now, here's what caught me. It says, it has more of everything Cosmic Encounter has to offer and lots of things that had never been seen in the game before. It's a never-ending odyssey and one that no Cosmic fan will want to miss. Never-ending odyssey. It makes me think, is this going to be something similar to like the setup we see in Oath? Where the game evolves, like you finish a game Mm. and that dictates how the next game is going to be set up. And you just keep on going. You just... Every time you play, it's going to have some different stipulations for the following game. Uh, Solar 175, the guys we just talked with from yeah. uh, Koichi Argo Meeple, they have a very similar thing where you could play it several, several times. <laughs> and it's going to be new and different every every time just based on the previous plays. I wouldn't mind seeing that in Cosmic Encounter. I think it'll be cool. I look at what they put on this. Now, I have a weird sense of things here at times. I mean, you yeah, probably no know that by now. So number one. For them to use wallop and <laughs> shenanigans in their description of the game, I'm already kind of in here. This is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But whenever they put in the never-ending odyssey, that's whenever I'm like, okay, now you've just gone to the thesaurus and they're just picking out words to throw in there and make it sound big. Well, it uh, makes me wonder what that means. You know, you can't say never-ending yeah. odyssey and give a, a single module. Obviously, this isn't just that. But in some way, this campaign coupled with never-ending makes me wonder, what is this going to bring to the table? 
I mean, if nothing else, I mean, it is definitely bringing up the idea of what is it? Looking up on BGG, there's no pictures. They just have a picture of the cover of the box. That's it. So it's still keeping it a little bit of a mystery. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens whenever it comes out. Well, between this and last year's Cosmic Encounters Duel, it is kind of nice to see a really good game uh, have some staying power like that. People usually have very like opposite ends of the scale type of opinion about it. Love it or hate it. They either love it or they cannot stand that game. I mean, it's kind of in the middle for me, so I'm I'm kind of weird, but I haven't played it enough to really get that what I really feel about that game. Well, I am a fan of Cosmic Encounter. Scott, let's get on to recent adventures. Tell me about something that you're a fan of. One of them came out in 2018. Now, wait, 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 wait. This is level back. We just said five years. That's all. 2018. That's only four years. Wasn't there a leap year in there somewhere? We'll allow it. All right. All right. Space Base came out 2018, designed by John D. Clare and published by AEG. The look of it always had me interested, but I never pulled the trigger on buying this game. There was just something about it that just looked really interesting. And then all of a sudden, hey, guess what? It came out on my dude best friend, BGA. So I jumped in there and I started playing it. Mm-hmm. Now, this game is a dice rolling and buying resources and accruing resources and buying new ships. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in this game. There are three main resources that you're dealing with. You're dealing with your money, you're dealing with victory points, and you're dealing with what they call income. Mm-hmm. Now, the money, it's simple. You accrue money to buy new cards to put into your tableau. Your victory points, hey, guess what? It kind of tells you what it is in the title there, victory points. The other one is income. And this is a neat little thing that we just played a game a little spoiler alert we'll be talking about in the future, Quacks of Quecklenburg, where you have kind of a catch-up mechanic with those rats, where you move the, yeah. uh, the, the rat up to keep everyone into the game. Well, the income, what happens here is each time that you accrue a unit of income, that makes your starting level of money go up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So every time you buy something, your money goes back to zero. So we no matter cash, if you spent everything income. or not, yeah, it goes to zero. But your income, as you increase the income, it gives you a little bit of a buffer there whenever you start over again. So you buy something, you have an income of five, you don't go back to zero, you start at five. So now then you can start to buy those bigger, more expensive spaceships. Much like moving the droplet forward in Quacks of Quedlinburg. Exactly. You have a little tableau in front of you of 12 ships. These ships are ranged from sector one to sector 12. Each one of them has a special little ability in a blue section on the box, Mm -hmm. on the card. So that is the section that activates whenever you roll the dice and it fits into that space there. Now, the dice, you roll two dice. You can either put them together and activate one card or take them separately and activate two different cards. So if I roll a three and a six, I can activate three and six or I can Mm -hmm. activate card number nine. Exactly. Okay, I got it. As you buy ships, you will put a ship on top of there, but the ship that you had will turn upside down, and there's a section on the bottom that's in red. 
every time one of your opponents rolls their dice, you activate that red area. Mm-hmm. There may be times that you roll a three and a six, but you haven't bought anything on a three and a six area. So you have nothing. So you can't activate anything. There may be times that you've bought four cards in level six. Well, whenever your opponent rolls that six, you activate all four of those cards that are in red above your six sector. You with me so far? So far, so good. I, I know f- we're playing this on BGA right now, and from what I'm seeing, now this is my first playthrough of Space Space. We have our 12 cards, and what I'm really liking is, is two things. One, that when the dice roll, whether it's your turn or someone else's, that getting to choose what's going to activate, getting benefits on your own turn, and getting benefits from whenever other people roll their dice. And two, mm-hmm. that gives you a ton of agency in this game. If I if I have the option to purchase a card, now let's say that I'm looking at my cards uh, my, my ships on my tableau from 1 to 12 and i've got triggered abilities on every number except for say 5 6 and 11 well i might mm-hmm. want to buy a 5 or a 6 or 11 maybe my 8 card which already has three triggers stacked maybe i want to really hammer home that 8 so i buy another 8 that uh, kind of like in settlers when you how some people can you can go wide and just cover a big range of numbers or mm-hmm. you can okay every time a 9 is rolled i'm going to get a ton of stuff and really like focus on one number space space gives us a little bit of that in how we're going to flesh out our tableau i love that It's a very interesting game here. I've been playing it like crazy lately. But what happens is as you play the game, you kind of have to figure out a point in the entire game when you want to switch to victory point accumulation. Mm -hmm. That has been my biggest problem. I've been losing more than I've been winning. Yeah. (laughs) I get into that. That's par for the core for us. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. We are not known for our. Well, At least me, I'm not known for my winning percentages. But you have to switch over from the accumulation of income Mm -hmm. to the accumulation of victory points. And I always come to that party far too late. Now, one other thing that they have here as well is you have a row of cards that are all in yellow. And these have the same symbol as the victory points. Now, these are very expensive, so you may want to skip a couple times whenever you're buying things to build up more and more money. So what will happen is whenever you buy a card for that, say you buy a seven, Mm -hmm. that seven is worth nine victory points. Boom. You get those nine victory points right away. So you don't have to wait for that seven to roll. But that seven, whenever you roll it, is no longer active for you. It's only active for your opponent. If your opponent rolls and you have something above that seven, you can activate that. But nothing else will activate in that seven for you whenever you're playing that game. Interesting. See, that changes. You know what we're going to do? We're going to revisit Space Space next episode for a quick update. We're playing right now on BGA. We got Jesse going uh, going in the game with us. So three-player game. When we – I got the invite to join that game. I got the email. Hey, you're invited to play a game of space space. I have never played space space, never read the rule book. I was just like, okay, learning on the fly. So you know how mm-hmm. like on BGA, it is kind of restrictive. You can't click and move something that you're not allowed to right now. You have to do what's next. Like you'll get your list of options and you have to choose right. within those options. 
the first five turns, I think I was just clicking cards thinking, I'll figure this out as I go. <laughs> and then as I ran into a speed bump, I pulled up the space space rule book, which holy crap is 30 pages. They condense it down to three paragraphs yeah. on BGA. And I was like, well, that's, that's the way to do it. So I'm learning on the fly. We're going to revisit this at the beginning of next episode and find out, did I win? <laughs> Did I beat you <laughs> not knowing the rules of the game when it started and playing the first portion of the game? No clue what I was doing. Did I win? <laughs> now, one final thing is there are other things that happen whenever you buy certain cards. Right. There are some cards that whenever you buy them, whenever they activate, they may allow you to bump one of the die numbers up one higher. Yeah. Or you may be able to roll. If you roll an 11, you may be able to bump that up to a 12. There are things whenever if you get so many dice in a sequential order, you get so much cash in order to buy a new ship. There was one I never even knew. I was playing a game of it. And every time I looked at it, I'm like, where did my victory points go? I didn't know there was one that every time that the guy rolled it, it took two points away from me. Oh, it's an attacking card. Yes. So I'd never seen that before. So I was really surprised. So I'm still learning the game as well. And I just played a game before we started recording. I was not really paying attention. I was getting notes ready and just kind of playing in the background. Mm -hmm. I had six income. I was feeling pretty good. So basically what that meant is each turn, whenever I buy something, I don't go back to zero. I go back to six. All right. A person I'm playing against had income of 32. Whoa. You could buy anything. So basically anytime they bought anything, they automatically started with 32 cash. Oh, they were just getting everything cash. for free. That's absurd. Yes. It's impressive to see how other people play this game. If nothing else from BGA, this really opens up things to you to see different strategies of how to play. You don't get stuck in one, two, or three different strategies that your friends play it really opens it up because you've got a worldwide arena that you're playing in and you see all these different strategies in order to be successful at the games they have on here. All right, well, that's 2018 Space Base. All right. Well, Level Back takes a little bit more fun, so let's take it to a commercial. This is Stop Thief, a computerized cops and robbers game where an electronic crime scanner gives you clues Door. to catch an invisible thief. A broken window. Footsteps. In Stop Thief, when you think you know where the thief is, make the arrest. Here come the cops. I think he's got him. Nine volt battery not included. Stop Thief, an electronic cops and robbers game, new from Parker Brothers. Yes, yes. So I know you probably followed the five year rule thing. So well, of what game did you just recently play from the way back when? You know, Scott, I was originally going to talk about Zaya, Legends of a Drift System here. I had that in the Ooh. notes until a couple of days ago, but I had the joy of learning a game from teacher Ryan. Came to find out it's his favorite game, and I wanted to share oh. my first impression of it. It's one that I've never played. From BGG, welcome to the Rococo era during the reign of oh. Louis XV, when it's safe to say that holding lavish balls is quite trendy. We're a family show. I don't know how I feel about saying holding lavish balls. <laughs> <laughs> Important personalities wrap up in noble coats and dresses, anxious to outshine one another. As the biggest event is coming up in just a few weeks, everyone is turning to you with their requests. An elegant coat here, a stunning dress there, or a donation to fund the fireworks at the event. Soon, you realize that it's not just about your dressmaking business anymore. 
It's about managing the most prestigious ball of the era. And now it's time to rock. So we're going to talk a little bit about Rococo. Yes, this is the dressmaking game. Before we get started, Scott, the world's most expensive dress. How much do you think the world's most expensive dress costs? I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, I'm going to say $1.67 million. <laughs> the world's most expensive dress. Actually, it has a name. It's the Nightingale oh. of Kuala Lumpur by Malaysian designer Abdul Faisali. The red chiffon dress is worth $30 million. What? No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that was from where? It's a Malaysian designer, and it's called the Nightingale of Kuala Lumpur, so I would assume Malaysia. Okay, now is it thirty million in Malaysian dollars? I'm where it's... thinking it's U.S. dollars. Oh, oh, yeah. all right, all right. Scott, this gown's covered with seven hundred and fifty-one diamonds and Swarovski crystals, weighing over one thousand one hundred carats, and includes a seventy-carat teardrop diamond. How would you sit in that and be comfortable? <laughs> Rococo is designed by Matthias Kramer, Stefan Malls, and Louis Malls. Originally published in 2014 by Egerspiel and Eagle Games, but this actually got a, a deluxified re-release just a couple years ago in 2020 by Eagle Games. And in Rococo, two to five players take on the role of tailors, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most prestige will win. Scott, we could have a big old discussion about themes and why certain ones are more attractive to others. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll save that for another day. This is about okay. collecting linens, thread, and lace, and making coats and dresses for a royal ball. Let that sink All in. Right. That's what you're doing. Me, I was I was just dipping my toe into that water because I'm not going to like this. <laughs> so what are we doing in the game? Let's go over the setup and the layout just a little bit. The board's going to depict a big old palace with several rooms in it, and each room can house a number of nobles who are hopefully wearing the garments that you have crafted corner of the board and bottom left you got this grid where, where like you put these little linen tiles they're acquired uh, in order to like craft your dresses that are showing at the bottom of the board that's where you've got like this row it's uh kind of like in through the ages or any of those games with like a river of cards this is a right. river of dress tiles so every turn some will be acquired some will be burned off and you'll refresh the river when you make a dress you either sell it instantly for the cash value on it or you keep it for points, and when you do so, you flip it upside down where it's no longer a dress. It's a noble wearing the dress, or, or the coat, if you will. You put one of your discs on it to show that this is yours, and you put it in a room on the board. It's going to be worth victory points at the end of the game. And each room has majority scoring, so you have a little bit of like an area control thing going on here. Hmm. Okay, that's... Something I wasn't expecting mm -hmm. to hear in this game, but that sounds pretty cool. You can also fund decorations throughout the palace, which can bump your income or potentially score you endgame points as well. Now, thematically, like there's a fountain and you can put discs near the fountain. There's musicians, one in each room, and you can put a disc on there. There's a fireworks show at the end of the game, which is like a, a scoring multiplier. But in order to get it, you need to fund a decoration. Basically, the role that you have in this game is making this shindig Amazing. That's our actions and our scoring. But here's what makes Rococo captivating. Each player starts the game right. with five employees, and there's a market of four refreshed every round based on the round that you're in. So round one, you're not going to have employees that are super powerful. Those are at the bottom of the deck. It is sure. a, a fixed deck, so to speak, with some variation. On a turn, you get to select three employees that you're going to use. And when you play one of them, you get to take a board action 
based on the power level of the card that you played. And then you get to take the action depicted on the card. So what I meant by power level, each employee's got a different skill level. There's three different skill levels in the game. You have your apprentice, journeyman, and master. Mm -hmm. There are board actions that can only be taken by the masters or only by masters and journeymen. So you want to build a dress, you're going to need a master or you're going to need a journeyman. You want to hire a new employee, you're going to need a master. So balancing the power level of a card action versus what it's able to do on the board Oh, that was really thought-provoking through the entire game. Hmm. You play for seven rounds, and final scoring is going to determine a winner. Upon looking at BGG, Mm -hmm. I see the board. I see a bunch of pieces. It looks delightful. (laughs) It is delightful. It looks really, really busy. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. Is it really complex, or is it just give the look of being complex and is rather easy to go through? Uh, we're going to call this one slightly over midweight. That's a good call. It is oh. a busy looking board. Uh, not as busy as something like Yido, which we played. Uh, right. But there is a lot going on. And I will say it it looks more confusing than it actually is. Okay. You've got your linens, okay. dresses. You've got new employees to be acquired. They all have fluctuating costs based on when you buy them. The first employee hired, for example, like it, there's a row of four in a two-player game. There's a row of four employees. Whoever hires an employee first had to spend $5. The next employee right. hired will only cost three. And then one. And then finally, the last employee taken is free. The dresses are in that shifting market. So every round they're going to shift to a cheaper spot. New ones are going to be added. So these are the sorts of the things that in a game are going to reward forward planning. I like that. Sure. Yes. But it does mean that if I have a casual gamer at the table, that's a little bit more for them to consider. Mm. Or somebody who's playing for the first time, like I was with Ryan, that's a lot to try and soak in. And sometimes that can be a barrier that some folks don't care for. And even if you do love it, well, that does mean that the game has a little bit more complexity than most. I'd put it over midweight. It's not a heavy game, but it is higher than average. This is something I've been guilty of, and I'm trying my best to get over it. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of judging a game by its cover. Okay. This is known pretty much as the dressmaking game. Right. Did the theme come through in this that you were making dresses, or is it just it shows that you're making dresses, but you don't really feel like you're doing it? You're just going through the actions and trying to get the highest score. Well, both. Uh, Obviously, whenever you're playing a Euro game, there's definitely a, okay, I'm going through the motions. I'm putting my head down and trying to get my head in the game. But man, thematically, I tell you what, I felt like I was Tim Gunn visiting Mood. (laughs) Tell me you know that reference. I'm ashamed to say I do. (laughs) Wow. All right, from the bits that you're acquiring to the area control, it comes through and you have a ton of moments in the game where you get to do something powerful and you do often have to check for things on the board like, okay, how many red dresses do I have? Do I have any green dresses over here? Oh, can I fund a music event on the second floor? Looking at that busy board after you understand the game, after you've played one round, you're not looking at a busy board anymore. You're, it's more like you're peeking in, like you're a, a fly on the wall at this party. Mm-hmm. Thematically, for a Euro game, it hammers home. I kind of feel this from the way you've been talking. Did you like the game? I don't do this often. Oh. oh. <laughs> but I went online after playing with uh, with Ryan. I got myself a copy coming in. <laughs> <laughs> 
I see me uh, making some dresses sometime. You know, oh, you're not going to have a choice. I, well, I ordered the updated <laughs> version. I was talking to Ryan when we were done. He's like, I actually prefer the the look of the old version of it, you know, the, the, the gameplay. But I don't think that the new one updated a whole lot of gameplay. It's probably similar to mm-hmm. Eda, where there's some modules added, things like that. It doesn't – it's again, it's not going to overwhelm you with small ticky-tacky rules, but it really does make you consider your plays, and it, it rewards you when they work out. I got the newer copy because I thought, well, if this is one that maybe we want to review at some point, mm-hmm. I think you'll like okay. it. Okay. And I started uh, – inspired by the Nightingale of Kuala Lumpur, I started naming my clothes. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so you're wearing what today? I can't. I can't even think. <laughs> the mud rompers of Westmoreland. Oh, oh! I like that. Worth something I like, like seven dollars. It all works. It all works. Hey, level back so, takes a little bit more energy, and for that, we need some funding. So let's kick it to a commercial. Okay, let's do it. Barnyard Commando. The Rams are on the move. Led by Major Legger Mutton, a ram of great vision. Glasses. Ha! Who needs them? And Commodore Fleas Cardigan. Rams, follow me! There's Pilot Fluff Pendleton. This here's the Rams. And Sergeant Wooly Pullover. Yo, hey, thank you. Have a nice day. Know what I mean? Barnyard Commando! Are you through the Tiny Epic Collection yet? Have have we done all of them yet? No, no, no. I still there's a couple I need. Still need. I still need Tiny Epic Quest and Tiny Epic Defenders. I still need those. That gives me an idea. And then they just released a Tiny Epic Vikings. Is going to be the next one coming oh, out God. for them. So we're going to have you putting Tiny Epic games in the notes for the next year to come. You know what? I'm going to sh- oh. I'm going to shark Tiny Epic Quest from you because I've have and have played that one several times. I'm going to put it in the notes for next week or something. So you don't, nah. Tiny Epic Western, Scott, tell me about it. I looked at it and I'm like, yes, I need to get this. So this came out in 2016, (laughs) designed by, once again, Scott Alms. This man has all sorts of games just dumping out of his brain all the time and published by Gameling Games. In Tiny Epic Western, it's basically uh, how they put it. It's poker meets worker placement. So just let that sit and percolate in your mind there a little bit. What you do is you have a tiny little Western town that you, I actually use tiny in that. Wow. They really do get in your brain and just stick their roots in there. Well, it's a little town. It's like a a little town. town here. You have a sheriff's office, you have a saloon, you have the hideout. Now this game can be played up to four players or it can be played solo. So this is one of those ones that I got with the idea of playing solo. Mm, Didn't really care for it that much. But let me tell you what, with more players, I played with Tom over Mm -hmm. at SCG. It really makes a big difference. So the game is played in a series of rounds. Each round, poker cards are dealt between the locations. Now the locations are laid out in a circle. And guess what? There are six different locations. So it looks like a little six shooter. That Western theme there. I see what there. you did there. Is this the one that has the dice that are like bullets? Yes, it is. Ah, oh, did I spoil your giveaway? Nope, nope, not oh, okay, at all. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> so now players place posse members. They have a posse that they're going out to get things and get the most money and everything to get the most victory points at the end of the game. So you stick the posse members on the location cards. Mm -hmm. Now, what you're trying to do is you want to take a look 
you can see what the cards are in between each of the buildings. So those two cards plus one of yours, plus the game has one card there as well that is going to be flipped over later on. So you have to make your best three card poker hand. You'll take a look at the first location whenever you're going around the circle. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a three and a three. I have a three in my hand. That gives me three of a of three of a kind. That looks pretty good. I'm going to put one of my worker, my posse members there. Now you can either put it on there. There's a spot where you automatically get one of the three resources that they allow you to get law, money, and force. And each one of these are great because they're little cutouts, like a sheriff's badge, six shooter. And then there's also just a gold piece. So players place possible members on these location cards. You can place it where you're either going to get one of those resources right away, or you might get a little bit more resource if you think you have a better hand and you want to just face the game element and beat them at their own game. So beat them at a poker hand. Mm -hmm. Whenever you place a posse member, it will give an action and count as a bid for the location's valuable resources. So the resources, once again, law, money, and force. Players also get a poker card of their own, which uses the two adjacent cards, like I said, from a location to form a three-card hand. It creates a nice little mix of worker placement, plus also playing poker with this game. And it actually now, works. Yeah, it's, it's great because they actually work it out with different suits. And they're on the back of the player cards where you keep track of all your resources. They have a listing of what suits are higher. So if everything's tied up, you take a look and see what the suits are. And then that will figure out things. Mm -hmm. So it really works out well with that. And then you have a buy phase. At each one of the places in the town, city hall, the hideout, the saloon, they have a little storefront. And you can pay for those. And whenever you do that, that will give you a card, if you buy it, to slide under your player mat. Now, mm -hmm. your player mat will be one of the things, the hideout or the saloon. That section is now opened up. So whenever you're placing posse members later on, you can place it on there and get this super powerful extra ability that you can use in the other turns. The fun thing here is if you're going along and someone places their posse member on a space you want, well, you can still do it. You can place your posse member there as well, but there's a shootout. So they have little, as you put it, bullet shaped dice. You both roll one of those. Whoever has the highest number, they get knocked out. You take the spot from them. Mm -hmm. There are three different things at the end that you want to try and get the most points for. And on each one of the cards, the storefronts, there are symbols on the top. At the end of each round, what will happen is you move the final resources, there's a resource track form for first, second, and third place. There oh, yeah. Oil like the, and a couple uh, there other was ones. oil. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. So you move those up, and you can only move one at a time. And you can only move them one space at a time. Mm -hmm. So you need to balance that around there. So they're jockeying positions all the way up. And once you get to six rounds, you have one in each space. 
you then look at the cards that you have on your doorstep of where you bought the different cards. You take a look at the symbols that match those symbols there, and you get points according to what you have on there. So if you have the most oil, you get five points. If you have the second most in oil, you may only get three points. This is a cool game. I enjoyed it. I don't think it's for everybody. You know, what captivates me with this one is that the cards, the poker cards that go around the, the locations on the board, that changes how you evaluate. Like, I might really want to go to the saloon, but if the card there doesn't match up and there's a perfect card, it uh, I, I don't remember each of the building types that we'll say uh, mm -hmm. at the Barnes & Noble in your town. <laughs> if there's a really good card over there that matches up with my hand, it's like, well, I... I all but have to go here. Like it, it shifts the value of things every round based on the, the cards that are represented by each building. I thought it made for an excellent little game, but you know what? This is, this is ranked behind in the tiny epic series. It's behind galaxies, of course, tiny yes. epic quest, dinosaurs, zombies, and kingdoms. Do you think that's fair or any of those? Would you put this higher than any of those? I would definitely, I think I would definitely put it above kingdoms. Mm -hmm. I would put it above, well, I haven't played Quest, so I honestly can't say about that. I would put it um, above Quest. I've, I've played them both, and, and Quest is a fine game, but I like this a yes. lot more than Tiny Bit Quest. But yeah, I don't think in that list there, nothing really passes Galaxies. I thoroughly love that game. Yeah, that's um, pretty consensus. Yes, so that that's definitely my top one. But I would put it in probably the top three or four of the Tiny Epic games. Well, all right, that's Tiny Epic Western. Scott, it's time for the Top 100 Update Top 10 Trends. I said last time, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, passed not only Twilight Imperium, but it also hopped over Terraforming Mars to take the four spot. Well, that changed. That changed. Oh, oh. Top 10 Trend, Terraforming Mars retook the four spot. Excellent. Let's talk new highest peaks. We've got Root is at number 25, Everdell at 27, Clank Legacy at 28, Arc Nova 29, already in the top 30. Wow. This thing's, uh, it's destined for number one. I'm interested to give that thing a try. And quite frankly, I'm just going to go ahead and put it on the record. Had Vassal said any of the games that we're listing in the top 100, had he said when they came, oh, this is the best game I've ever played, this will be number one, mm -hmm. then I think they also would have had the same trajectory. I think he holds enough weight that if he says that about a game, reviewers aren't going to, like, you no know one's going to be a hipster and be like, no, 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 he's wrong. And quite frankly, <laughs> Ark Nova's phenomenal. You haven't played this one yet, have you? No, I have not. Okay. Well, I, I had the chance to do this with Teacher Ryan, with uh, Ark Nova with Teacher Ryan. He absolutely uh -huh. annihilated me, but I think you're going to like it. It's a, a bit of terraforming Mars. Uh, well, it's familiar enough. We'll get there when we get there. Pax yes. Premier, second edition is up to 44. Pandemic Ooh. Legacy Season Zero up to 65. The Crew Mission Deep Sea keeps on climbing up to number 78. Wow. Cascadia is at number 84. Uh. And Kanban EV at 96. Yeah, I gave that little groan there. I Cascadia is a fine game, but it just did not really wow me. I'm there with you. I don't I for me everything's subjective, right? I personally don't feel it's a top 100 game, but enough people do that it's at yes. number 84. It's just not our flavor apparently. Exactly. Exactly. Tigris and Euphrates was out of the top 100 for a little while. It's worked its way back in, knocking out Russian Railroads. Ooh. Okay. 
Happy birthdays! We've got a couple. Eclipse Second Dawn for the Galaxy has been out for about a year, and it's been on the top 100 for a year. Mm-hmm. And Through the Ages, A Story of Civilization, this is the, the older edition that had the big board, has been on there for 15 years. I tried it one time on BGA, and I was completely lost, but I know you swear by this game, so I've got to get a game of that in here sometime. The one on BGA, did you do Through the Ages a new story? It's really card-driven. Um, well, they're yes, both yes, card-driven. I think okay, yeah, I think you probably did new story. Um, play that one with me so I can explain it as we go because right. there's just or, – or download the app because the tutorial on that app is still by far – Way ahead of second place for best tutorial in a game that I've ever played through. It's okay. phenomenal. Like, I, I learned the game from scratch, and I am not the best board game learner. <laughs> and that's not an easy game. Okay, okay. That sounds good. I will give that a try then. Well, recently on the Dice Tower, Trey Parker said that his favorite game is the one that we're reviewing today, Summit. Scott, you ready? I am ready to climb this mountain. Hey adventurers, King Scott here. Today we're going to be talking through Summit. Now, Summit was released in 2017, designed by Connor McGooey, and published by Inside Up Games. Now then, the mountain stands before you. You have the gear, the intestinal fortitude, the skills. But what are the other climbers going to do to gain that glory of reaching the top first? In Summit, you are a climber getting ready to climb a mountain. Yeah, easy enough. You're given a player board, three mountain tiles, four karma cards, and three item cards. More on these in a minute. Next, all players will agree on what type of mountain you're going to climb. Are you going to climb a wee little hill, or are you going to climb a three black diamond monster? Place one of your color tokens on each of the four sections of the main board that shows where you are on the mountain. Place a token on the Karma board, and finally place the Blizzard token on the event section of the board. The final part of setup comes from setting out the pieces showing the base camp, the mountain summit, and the halfway camp. Now the tricky part. Your player board is broken up into a number of slots showing food, oxygen, equipment, weight, health, and movement of your character. There is also a special power, if you will, that makes your character stand out from the rest. First off, you will need food and oxygen to climb this mountain. This isn't an afternoon climb. You can take as much as you want, but wait, these will be heavy and they will affect your overall weight and this in turn will affect your movement. Once you select your food and oxygen, you must take the penalty to your weight and your movement. The more you take, the heavier you are, the slower you go. There is a real give and take to this game. Once you have your equipment set, it's time to climb. The three mountain tiles that you took at the beginning of the game allow you to choose your fate and how you're going to climb. There are three different kinds of tiles. One tile has trees on them and yellow rope. These represent a nice calm area to climb, no problem. The next are the ice tiles. These have blue ropes and a lot of knots on them showing you must be careful while traversing this section of the mountain. Finally, there are the tiles with brown ropes and dead trees showing that you're hitting high elevation and need to use your oxygen in order to pass through. 
Looking at your player board, you will move the number of knots on the tiles. When you reach the end of a tile, place another tile to complete your movement. Pretty simple. After your movement, you will then roll the event dice. These are two dice that will affect the weather and most likely your equipment and health. One die is blue and has a blank and mountain sides to it. If you roll a mountain, you draw an event card. This could be something good, something bad, you never know. The other die is the blizzard die. This die has sides with one snowflake, two snowflakes, a blizzard, and a sun side. If one snowflake comes up, you spend a food. Two snowflakes, yep, you got it, two food. If the sun comes up, it's a nice day. Now, if the blizzard shows, the blizzard marker on the board moves up one space and anyone not in a base camp loses that amount of food and or oxygen. Losing oxygen and food has a good and bad benefit. Bad, well, yeah, you're running out of food and oxygen. Good, you're dropping weight and are now able to move a bit faster. Your cubes on your player board are always moving, making your trip constantly changing. The karma cards you drew at the beginning come into play now. You can play one of these to help yourself or to help other climbers. If you do something nice, your karma track will go up, giving you more points at the end of the game. But on the other hand, you could do something like cut someone's rope. This also will affect you and lower your karma track and deduct points from you at the end. One final thing that can affect your karma is allowing people to pass. If another climber comes up behind you, they have to ask to pass. You can say yes, get a boost to your karma. Or you could be that guy and you could say no and make them find a different route and lose karma. Your choice. As you reach the base camps and the summit, you're given points on the side of the board as to what order you reach it. You get there quicker, you get more points. Slow and steady, you get fewer. But remember, karma has the final say in points. This is just a quick overview of the game. There's even a solo and a cooperative version of this game you can play. And don't even get me started on the Yeti expansion. Now, let's see if Patrick made it to the summit or not. Ah, yes, the joys of mountain climbing. A safe and happy sport for thrill-seekers of all ages. Relax at base camp with a hot cup of coffee before ascending the mountain. At the midpoint, you'll find cozy, welcoming tents and hot cocoa, soothing both to the mind and body. Enjoy the majestic views and thin air at the peak as you gaze upon the wonder that is the world around you. Gently descend on your choice of sled, rope, or winged suit back to base camp to meet up with your company to relax and reminisce about the wonder that is mountain climbing. Risks include high altitudes, natural disasters, falling rock, wingsuit crashes, extreme temperatures, frostbite, lack of visibility, no visibility, starvation, bears, mountain lions, vertigo, getting lost, not getting found, loss of limbs, dehydration, equipment failure, other climbers, falling a little, and falling a lot. Hey, thank you, Scott, for the rules walkthrough of today's review game, Summit. Adventurers, we like to break down our review games with the 8-bit breakdown, looking at eight different facets of the game to tell you all about how we felt, starting with bit number one, Scott, the art and components. One of the things that jump out at you is the artwork is interesting. 
It doesn't flow. It's not like all nice and pretty. It's very angular, Mm -hmm. but that makes it stand out. That makes it really quite interesting. The triangular tiles, I find that so interesting on the board because the decision-making is a bit of a chore, but a good chore, I will have to say. I mean, you look at things like Carcassonne, a tile laying game there as well. Mm -hmm. You lay it out. You have four different selections of what you can do. You can do this side, this side, this side, this side. This one here, you only have three different sides. But I think there's more decision-making to be done with three sides than there are in four sides with Carcassonne. Because you really have to think of the most efficient way to get to the top of the mountain, or at least to the base camp, or Mm -hmm. the midway camp first, so you can replenish your resources and everything. Good thick cardboard on those tiles, too. Oh, yeah. So the triangular tiles are such an interesting thing. Now, what were your thoughts on the art and components? Well, it's not going to knock your socks off, right? They're good components, but this isn't a $140 Kickstarter either. So I Mm -hmm. think for the price of the game, the the components are pretty good. Cardstock is kind of what you'd expect. Same with some of those chits. Uh, The tiles are are not – I can't say that I was blown away by the – tiles being triangular, but I do like how aesthetically that that works in the game. Uh, What I really like is the game box, how it's got some glossy portions of the art. How about the player boards being inset? Yes, yes. That's something that we've kind of come to expect in games, but for its time, you know, this wasn't really a regular thing. This came out right around the same time as Terraforming Mars, which didn't have those inset player boards for the little cubes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a common complaint for Terraforming. I like the arrows next to each symbol on those boards so that like when you're sliding your cube, your weight goes, uh, we'll say you, you, you consume yeah. some food. So two food are gone. So your weight went down because you passed one of those arrows. You just follow along with the arrow. Oh, my weight went down. So my speed went up and it tells you where to go. I love the simple, clean art style of Summit. And when you mm-hmm. see this game on a table, it looks like something something special. And I think it starts with that sleek design. Uh, I'll say the artist named Jordan Danielson is credited for the artwork here. And I, I think I think it's a nice package. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I think everything works well with this. Well, let's go to bit number two, theme and immersion. So we're climbing a mountain, which makes me kind of <laughs> feel like the price is right yodeler. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) The game captures the feel of ascending and descending through the use of those rope tiles and counting each little segment of rope, each notch along the way. There are things that can cause a quick descent, like that sled Mm -hmm. that you had the one game. Uh, That's obviously bad on the way up, but you can take advantage of it when you're on the way down. The cards are thematic. They do what you would expect. Like ice screws are going to help you traverse an ice tile for a really simple example. I think I can call this game thematic because given the mechanisms and the layout, it's hard to imagine anything else, a different theme being applied to this game and working the way that scaling the the mountain, trying to reach the summit does. It's, It's not like random set collection game where you can replace small critter theme with plant life theme or galaxy theme Mm -hmm. and have its, you know, have the same game. This is kind of its own animal. What'd you think? Theme and immersion. Well, to tell the truth, I didn't think of anything else other than claim climbing that damn mountain. <laughs> so for Immersion, it works. I mean, it definitely works for me. The theme is a lot of fun. I personally have not played many games where, like you said, I'm climbing a mountain and juggling my resources. And the juggling of the resources, that is such a big thing there. Because the last game we played, when we played yesterday, 
I pushed myself to get to the bottom, but it bit me in the butt because I died two spaces from the base camp. I felt disappointed, not because I lost, but because I came so close. And I know I could see those flags blowing in the breeze at the base camp, waiting to welcome me into their warmth. And I died. You had your your arm outstretched and promptly froze. Yes, 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 exactly. So it it does a great job. I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun because, yeah, you were further behind me, but you were definitely, you were taking care of making sure you had food, you had the oxygen. I'm like, the hell with that. I'm just getting to the bottom of this thing here. (laughs) And it did not work. Bit number three is where we focus on the game's complexity. BGG puts this slightly below midweight, and I think that's accurate. What do you think? Yeah, it's not a really complex game. I mean, sure, we went back to the rule book to double check a couple things, but it wasn't a constant. We were always looking back to the rule book right, for things. Right. Player boards, whenever you move things up and you jump over one of the weight things, well, you know you need to increase your weight for this. Oh, you went over a foot. Well, you need to decrease your speed for this. It's intuitive. And it even yes. has little directional arrows so that you know, okay, I, I passed this going to the right, so then I need to go to that row and move my weight to the right. Oh, I passed the speed, so I move my speed to the right, and that decreased. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. intuitive. Yeah, yeah. Your thought on it? I do like that you have to kind of think ahead. Like, you're going to be rewarded for using your your karma cards and use your tiles in a timely fashion, but it's not a game that you have to hyper-focus on. Uh, I would put this more in, like, the beer and pretzels game, where if you're a little too casual, you're going to die on the mountain. Oh, thanks for the reminder. (laughs) That that was not my intent. So we've got a lighter midweight game, sort of a, a the first step of midweight. Let's talk a little bit about the rule book and the learning curve. You taught it, so rule book's on you. Well, the rule book is crammed full of stuff. I think any question that you may have is listed in there. The only problem is it just gets a little jumbled with the number of symbols you have. You have a lot of symbols with the oxygen and the crossed axes and the food and the the, the boots. There's a lot of different things that really get jumbled, but then it makes it a little simpler at times whenever you're just looking for the symbol so you can pick it out. I think it could be laid out a little bit better in some places, Mm -hmm. but it's still not like, I mean, it's not a terrible rule book. It's just a little tweak here and there that might make it better. Okay. How did you think it went with learning? It's quite simple. This game gives you your basic movement on your player board. So you're going to start moving, and then you place tiles as needed. Simple. Then you finish Mm -hmm. your turn with rolling the event die and the weather die and just carry out what it says. And honestly, that's basically it. Any outside variables are like, oh, man, I really got to soak this in. They come from cards, and the cards say precisely what they do on them. So once you grasp the idea that, okay, I'm just moving and placing a tile, well, that makes it really easy to decipher what each card is going to do for you. So learning curve, that, I mean, that is basically it. There's a little bit of gameplay that surfaces through the use of those karma cards and balancing where your disc is on that karma track, but that's not a big mental hurdle that's going to keep casual gamers away or or, or keep someone from enjoying the game. Yes, yeah, I I think that's a great way of putting it. I'm going to throw it back here to you now. The meat of the game. What did you think the meat of the game was in this? Bit number five is where we talk the meat of the game. What portion of the game gets your brain really working and makes you want to come back? And Scott, here it is totally in the card 
play. I don't think this is a game that you're going to break out if you want to have a sit and think session. And like I said, with the complexity, it's kind of beer and pretzels. Summit wants a group that's going to get a little cutthroat too. Yes. Oh, yes, it does. I, okay. Hey, this game makes people ask you if they can pass you. So if I'm on a rope, <laughs> if I'm dangling from a rope on the side of this mountain, you're coming up behind me. You, you got to like tap me on my boot and be like, hey, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> can I pass you? Can I go pass? There's a gameplay element there. I can gain karma if I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Just you know, climb up my legs and my butt and don't kick me in the head on your way past. Uh, there is a little gameplay element there. But I could also say, no, <laughs> you wait. <laughs> if you have six moves and you're right behind me and it would only, you know, you would lose five moves. I might just tell you no. Yeah. And it's one of those tough things there whenever you look at it because – you're asking to go past somebody to go up higher, but then in doing that, you're giving them a point. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So we have mostly a race here that's influenced by player interaction, and a lot of that is found on the karma cards. And to me, that's where the meat is. Okay. Well, mine was a little bit different. I think that the meat of the game really comes in watching the resources, yeah, you want to have the karma cards to mess with your opponents and also help you out. You want to have the gear that will help you out. I mean, what was that one thing? A wingsuit that you basically put that on and just go. You become flying right squirrel. to the next one. Yeah. yeah. In order to get those things, you need to worry about your resources, your food, and your oxygen. So the player boards work so well to help you juggle your resources because they affect the weight in which well, they're going to affect your weight. They're going to affect your movement, your health. Exactly. And they affect the weight, which in turn affects your movement, which in turn helps you win or lose. Mm -hmm. That is why I think the resource management is such an important thing. Plus, also, since I lost the last game because I was not managing my resources well, I'm just like, oh, yeah, hell with it. I'll I'll get rid of that two food. I'm what, Patrick, you're going to give me two food? I played, nah, that. I I played a karma that. card that says you can leave a, a couple food uh, for the yeah. other player. And you, in Summit, you have the option of if somebody's going to use a karma card that will give them positive karma, you can say, no, you know what? I don't want it. So I did that. And I left some delicious hot oatmeal at the Summit mm -hmm. for you to pick up and enjoy. You, you told me no. You deny me that karma yeah, point. You yeah. know what? I should add that oatmeal. I, oh, God, I'm going to hate oatmeal for the rest of my life. There is a bit of gameplay in managing the player board. You're right. I think that's maybe a third element to introduce beyond just the player interaction and the use of the karma cards. Let's go to bit number six, though. Replayability and variability. This is a game that definitely shines at a higher player count. Without a uh, doubt. Yeah. So we played two, and it was fun, but it wasn't right there. Now, I've not played it cooperatively yet, but I'm anxious to give it a try and see how it changes the game up. The replay value comes in the story you make up in your mind as you're climbing the mountain. That being said, it does have a shelf life that may not go too long for some people. Mm -hmm. They may play it a few times and then they're like, all right, I've, I've conquered this mountain enough times. Let's move on to something else. Break it out again a few months from now. Yeah. The variability, I think, is high. The order in which the tiles are played. How much food and oxygen are you going to carry with you? What are the other players going to do against you? This alone definitely makes for a different experience each time you should play. Because are you going to push yourself? I mean, is one of those patches going to come up that you need oxygen? You're going to flip over another tile and, 
oh God, I need more oxygen for that. There's all sorts of things that will come with that. So the variability is definitely there. Yeah, it's a big deck of item cards, a huge deck of karma cards, and the events that you roll the die for them. So you may or may not see, like one game, you might see six events. The next one, you might see 14 that's going to yeah. give you a big change from one game to the next. And whether or not you're rolling the snowflakes to have uh, food losses coming up, uh, there's there's a good bit of variability. But I'll agree with you as far as replayability. I don't see this as a game that I'm going to be coming to regularly with like my weekly a group. But I don't think that that's a strike necessarily. Summit doesn't pretend to be that game with all sorts of depth. It's a game that's going to have variation in the cards and the items drawn as well as the tiles drawn. But most importantly, the players coming to the table. If you have a Mm -hmm. group that's willing to work together, that's going to be really different than if you get like the lobster gang together, where we're basically just looking for an opportunity to cut somebody's rope. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We tapped into it a little bit. Let's talk about bit number seven, Scott. What are the downsides of summit? I think this can definitely be a taxing game for some people at some times. You may get a lot of bad luck rolls with the dice. You may get that blizzard roll where if you aren't in the base camp, you lose so much of your food and your oxygen, no matter what. You could have crappy pools with the tiles to use. You could have ones that come out and you just have three tiles in your hand that all need oxygen to go through that. And once you're through the oxygen, each time you need one of those, you lose a health. So that's something there. Once again, the whole resource management part of this game here. So taxing is um, in sometimes the game can just pick a player and beat them down. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. There is not a lot you can do with that. And you watch the other players coming down the mountain as you're just starting to get up there. Mm-hmm. So there are times that you may feel that I'm out of the game before you actually really get started. Sure, sure. Not only does the game sometimes beat people down, but this game does have take that elements and boy, you get two or three people ganging up on one. Now in practice, that's supposed to be who's in the lead. We have the ability to hold them back a little bit, but in execution, sometimes that's three of us are going to pick on one, just cause it beat them down even Mm -hmm. further. I think for heavier gamers, this is going to be a tad on the simple side, I think is fair. Yeah. And it does have a linear, a a very linear arc of play. Get up the mountain, get down the mountain. That's it. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing for those that are looking for something that's a little bit more approachable or something that maybe they can break out with a younger group or a a casual group. That doesn't mean it can't be played with heavy gamers and people that just want to have a good time. But I think that having such a linear arc does mean that, to your point, it might have a limited shelf life or it might be one that you only break out every so often. This isn't going to be one of your anchor games for a game night. Right. It's not an evergreen. Mm-hmm. Scott, was Summit fun? And who's it for? Yes, it was fun. I've talked about it before. I mean, it has a special place in my heart because I got to play it whenever it first came out, played it with Connor, who designed the game and everything. I have a lot of baggage that comes with it, if you will, but good baggage. This is not, like you said, an uber competitive player you want to play with. Not only will they have no karma score at all, that's one of the nice things here that keeps things going, where I could just sit there and say, no, you can't pass me. No, you can't pass me. (laughs) See, that's fun. (laughs) But then the karma track goes down so far and it gets to the point where it's like, no, you can't be that ass anymore. You have to let people go. You can't do that anymore. No. So all the other players are going to be thinking how to throw this person off the nearest hillside. 
This is for a group that just wants to have a couple beers, a few laughs, and enjoy their time with each other. This is a lightweight game that you're going to have fun with. You're going to have fun with the, I, I, I mean, I, I hate saying this, but you're going to have fun with the idea of cutting someone's line and watching them fall. Oh, yeah. Did you have fun playing the game? And who do you think it's for? Yeah, I had fun with Summit. I like that you can alter your karma, like you said, by allowing or denying other people passage. I like that the items are thematic, and sometimes they can feel really, really powerful. Uh, The balancing of the weight, the oxygen, the food, playing on your player board and tinkering with that, that is fun. Ultimately, I like Summit. I don't love it. But I did enjoy mm-hmm. Summit. I'm not going to turn down a play. And I could even see suggesting this. If I get five or six people, uh, I, I think it's going to play way, way better at those high player accounts. Things like being able to drop items off and someone else can pick them up. Uh, there's a lot of things that are like, do something to someone that's in the same tile as you. I think this mm-hmm. is a game that's going to reward having a, a nice crowded board and a full table of players that are going to sink their teeth into it. Now, that's going to lead me a little bit into who I think is going to like the game. I think most gamers are going to enjoy it, but those who are going to love it are probably going to be bigger groups who don't mind a little take that in their game. They enjoy the kind of game where you're allowed to be a little bit mean to each other, all in a, all in a package that's pretty easy to learn. Like we mentioned uh, Cosmic Encounter mm-hmm. at the top of the episode. Sometimes you work together. Sometimes you backstab. Sometimes you're mean to each other. If your group plays a simple setup game like that and starts the politics, starts the the arguing, the finger pointing, and and you enjoy that. You don't get personal (laughs) about it. I think you're going to like Summit. And let's not forget, there is a co-op mode in the box, so it does give the option to play nice. We need to break that part out there and give that one a try, since that's Trey Parker's favorite version of the game, not the competitive one. Yeah, maybe keep your ears open. We'll talk about it in a recent adventure in an upcoming episode. That sounds good. And, uh... Uh, why is this fog coming in here, Patrick? I'm getting a little bit nervous. It's just a step to the left. And, and a jump to the right? In Puerto Rico, players assume the roles of colonial governors on the island of Puerto Rico. The aim of the game is to amass victory points by shipping goods to Europe or by constructing buildings. Each player uses a separate small board with spaces for city buildings, plantations, and resources. Shared between the players are three ships, a trading house, and a supply of resources and doubloons. The resource cycle of the game is that players grow crops which they exchange for points or doubloons. Doubloons can then be used to buy buildings which allow players to produce more crops or give them other abilities. Buildings and plantations do not work unless they are manned by colonists. Scott, it sounds like you took that directly from the BGG page. Well, Patrick, you are correct <laughs> with that. Good overview of the theme of the game, Scott. Let's talk about how we felt about Puerto Rico when we reviewed it last year. I think both of us were kind of of the, hey, this game's great, but it's a little bit dated opinion. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's one of those games. This is one of the games that really got me into this hobby Mm -hmm. here as times change and people's opinions on things change you start noticing things that could be a little bit different it definitely holds the part of being part of the grand machinations of what hobby board gaming is sure sure it definitely has its spot there in the um 
what do you want to call it, the Hall of Elders that are looking down upon all the games that have come out using some of those mechanics that were put in this. Could it be improved a little bit? Sure. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's similar to a game like Catan, Carcassonne, or Dominion in that it is it was revolutionary in its time. You know, it, it was the best at what it did or the first of what mm-hmm. it did, and it earns its its high ranking, its its revelry because of it. And I think that it's appropriate. I think that it's still a good game today. Uh, for that matter, a game like Catan Dominion, I still think those are phenomenal games, but there are people that'll look at those and go, oh, those, they've been improved upon, they're outdated, they're they're not, like that. I know people that just won't play Dominion. Oh, it's themeless, it's numbers, and uh, to yeah. an extent, they're not wrong. You could also apply that a little bit to Puerto Rico, I think, and, and that's why, I, you know, our thoughts about it then, fun game, good game, cool mechanics, kind of dated kind of seen its time. For me, that still mm-hmm. holds up. Uh, are you looking to, let me ask you this, you're hosting a game day, uh, we'll say 10 different game days throughout the rest of the year. Do you see Puerto Rico being on the table for any one of them? I think it really depends on what the conversations are during the other game days. If things come up about, oh, I remember playing this and people start getting nostalgic, mm-hmm. then that might come out and say, hey, let's play Puerto Rico. Let's bring that out and remember what it was like whenever we were first getting into hobby board games. Like playing old school Um, Magic the Gathering. Exactly. And I don't know if I would really push it to get it out there because, yeah, a lot of the mechanics have been used in other games and they've improved upon them. Right. But if you get in that nostalgic mood, yeah, definitely I would would probably bring this out there. So we both agree that it is a... Pretty darn good game, and at the time, it was the best game. What are some of the common complaints that we find about this game? Obviously, dated components. It's a very, like, it's brown and tan and beige. There's not there's not a lot of color. Yeah, like, yeah. there's literally, it is the opposite of deluxe. <laughs> some folks call it a multiplayer solitaire, and I don't know that that's fair. To an extent, it is, but you have subtle, like, overt interaction in, like, who's going to get to load what on the boat first? Right. Who's going to pick the tile first? So I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, but it is something that came up Quite a bit. More than anything, though, the, perhaps the most vocal complaints uh, about the game are due to its theme. There is, there's colonial, what, colonization, colonialism, there's uh, colonization, and there's uh, inferred uh, like a slavery theme. You know, th- these goods aren't mm-hmm. producing themselves. These crops aren't farming themselves. The game never outright says that that's what's happening, but that's what's happening. And for a lot of folks, that is a turnoff. That is correct. And I mean, it's, I think at the time that whenever people were playing it, we weren't that aware of that type of thing. I mean, it was, it was there, but it wasn't brought to the forefront like things are now. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely one that I'm sure that they could probably come up with some way to tweak this a little bit to kind of, I don't want to say retheme it, but kind of change some of the things there to make it more acceptable. But yeah, it's definitely one that deserves to be considered one of the classics. So do we recommend it? I think it's a game that everyone should play at least once. If you are really getting into hobby gaming and you really want to begin building a collection and playing as many games as you can... I think you would be at a disadvantage if you never played this game. If you're just a, hey, let's play some games. Let's have some good time. 
I don't know if you're going to really get into it that well. Uh, this is one that's more of like whenever you go to a museum and to see a certain exhibit that's there. This is one of those exhibits that you want to kind of go into and explore a little bit if you're really interested in the history of board games. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a game that's been built upon and improved upon by so many other games at this point that it can be a bit of a hard sell. It's kind of a rite of passage, but I look at it almost like, you know what, learn how to play this game because then, I mean, how many times are we learning game? Okay, Scott, you remember in Puerto Rico when? You know, this mechanic, mm -hmm. this is like from Puerto Rico. It's kind of yes. like a, a living rule book, if you will. Like th this is the, this is the 101. Once you know, there's, we ought to make that an episode at some point, like learn these five games and you'll be able to play almost anything. <laughs> this is a, a hallmark. This is a, a pillar in that room. Mm -hmm. Hey adventurers, my name is Nikki and welcome to the Animal Kingdom a segment all about the animal companions we find in our adventures. Today, we are going to talk about a game that I really enjoyed. But first, let's take a trip to the zoo to learn more about the animal it features. Hi, adventurers. My name's Henry. I'm one of the curators at the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. All right, the sloth is an amazing animal. They're noted for the fact that they move slowly, and sloth is actually designates it. It's when you're slothful, you're slow, you're lazy. Uh, I, I think it's a misnomer in a lot of ways because their energy level is very low, and it requires them to move slowly. And they're adapted to hanging upside down. Think about it. These animals have these hook-like claws that allow them to grasp onto a branch, hang upside down. And they have a unique way of, of gaining camouflage. Their, their coat allows them to collect moisture, and their mo the moisture allows for moss to grow. So if you see these animals hanging up in, in a jungle, they will look, blend right into a tree, and you really got to look hard to find them because of that camouflage they use. But coming down to the ground, they do come down to the ground. They're not adapted to being on the ground and moving. If you've ever seen them go across a, a road or across some, a grassy patch outside of a rainforest, they move very slowly. They hook their hooks on the ground and sort of pull themselves forward slowly and slowly across the road, giving that sloth-like appearance. So, yeah, they can be slow, but if they come across a body of water, they swim, and they swim well. Uh, it's pretty amazing. They can doggy paddle, kind of slothy paddle, I guess, and make it across a pretty good-sized stream or, or river if necessary. So their adaptations are to hang safely from a tree. Once a week or so, it'll come down, and they expose themselves to possible predators at this time, jaguars and other animals, that when they go on the ground, because they move so slow, they can make an easy meal. They try not to come down on the ground for many reasons, but once a week, they come down to defecate. You talk about slow. <laughs> there, there's no, that is slow. Um, they're, they're eating a high-fiber diet, some fruits and things like of that nature, and um, they pass it out slowly. So they're a slow animal because of the energy uh, requirement. They have a, a very low metabolism. Okay, level up as a family show, but adventurers got to know. Are they doing the deed up in the trees, or do they get down to get down? How does that work? Yeah, when, when sloths do mate, they will mate in, in a tree, and they will give birth in a tree as well because it's the safest place for them to be. So you will find them upper, and it is very slow mating because they have a slow metabolism. 
they still seem to enjoy it. Are there any other reasons that the sloth might leave its tree? One of the reasons that they will go from one tree to another tree or cross a river is some find a mate. Uh, when they're on a, the prowl, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, guys go to bars, sloths go to another tree. You know, got to go find a mate. Let's go back to Nikki and find out how this animal ties into a board game. Thanks, Henry. All right, adventurers. Now that we know a little bit about this wonderful creature, let's put it to work in Friedman Freeze 2019 game Fast Sloths. Fast Sloths is a hand management pick-up-and-deliver game for two to five players where you play as a racing sloth. You might think, racing sloth? Man, that's going to take forever. But the game can be played in about an hour because you're racing on the backs of animals. That's right. You get to choose six out of the 12 animals to race you around to collect yummy leaves from trees all over the place, which is fantastic since you're a cuddly, lazy sloth. This game is engaging because you have to choose which animal card you want to collect to move on that animal. Need to get pretty far? No problem. Call the eagle. It flies six spaces to you and carries you six spaces in any direction. Need to get across the river and the crocodile isn't around? The elephant got you. It'll just pick you up and throw you three spaces with its trunk. The game is easy to learn and has some great strategy involved, but don't plan too far ahead because you're not the only sloth trying to get the yummy leaves. Other sloths could steal the animal you were hoping to get a ride on. The first sloth to get all their leaves wins. I hope you enjoyed learning about this wonderful animal and look forward to the next time you visit the Animal Kingdom. Tell you what, Scott, we had the opportunity to gather a whole bunch of clips while we were there for all the different ants. She's like, okay, I, I know that I'm going to play this game and I want to talk about this animal. So we need to get Henry to talk about this animal. So I got to actually stand there and listen to these to, to these zookeepers, these handlers oh, wow. tell us about the various animals. You'll just wait till you hear some of the amazing content that she came out of that with. I'm looking forward to more stuff from Nikki. Hey, adventurers, this is the part when you listen to other shows where they ask you for your money. This is when they tell you they just couldn't make their content without the help of your wallet. At Level Up, we do this because we love gaming and we want to share our thoughts and we want to hear yours. So keep your money and use it to buy some games. We still love your support, though, and the best way to show it is to rate us with five stars in iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback we've had. The input from our listeners has been tremendous, and we can't thank you enough. Our one request is that if you're enjoying the show, the old games and level back episodes, the adventures on the horizons, interviews with designers of upcoming Kickstarters, reviews, solo adventures, giveaways, the Academy Lost Loot, and more, please take three minutes of your time and give us that five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now, back to the adventure. Scott, a couple of our recent reviews. We had Destinies, and we did Return to Dark Tower. I bring these up because these are games that require the use of an app in a game. And I, I don't know if you listened to my Dark Tower walkthrough, the rules walkthrough last week, but I included the dun-dun-dun after apps because, <laughs> man, I tell you what, some, some gamers get triggered by the thought of using an app in a game. So we created a poll, and we're talking about apps in games for today's discussion. I'm going to ask you point blank. What do you think about apps and games, Scott? They suck. No. Um, <laughs> no, I kid. I kid. Sorry, I had a squirrel attack my window here. <laughs> yeah, I know that's going to be left in. Yep. 
if I have a choice of playing a game with an app or a game without an app, I'm probably more likely to go with the game without an app. All right. What do you think? Wait, that's it? That's the that's the culmination of your thoughts. I would prefer a game well, without an app. I'm just getting that out here so we can then develop <laughs> uh, we're setting more the baseline. Of the conversation. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Fair enough. I'm 50-50. I'm going to go with 50-50 on this one because – uh, Descent 2.0. Well, we talked. I mm-hmm. talked about Descent 3.0 at the end of summer, and I said, "Oh man, you know, just too much app." My first impression of it was like, "Wow, this is cool." And then the very next episode, I said, "You know what? I've played a handful more scenarios, and I'm finding that 80 percent of the time I'm in that app." For me, I think that it's going to depend on whether the app is supplementary to the game, or if the game is supplementary to the app. Does that make sense? It definitely does, because I know whenever we were playing uh, Destinies, Mm -hmm. I kind of felt that way in that the board was there just to give you a visual representation of where you're at, but everything took place in that app. And that was one of those things I felt at the time. It almost feels like at some point, well, the app could just like, we could just get rid of the board. Like, why can't we just click yes. our piece in the app? That's where I think the the line is, is crossed for me. But I love it whenever the app feels like, oh, what's a good example? Return to Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we could have necessarily – now, theoretically, could we have done everything in an app? Sure. Every board game can be done on a screen. That's – you know, that goes without saying, but right. what it did in Dark Tower was when it wanted to make an enemy more powerful, it made the cards a little bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. Physical form on the table, that would mean that my deck of 10 cards that represent the Frost Giant, the Frost Giant just got angrier. So I got to take those 10 cards and I've got to get a new deck of 10 and put it next to it. And then they get more powerful. I've got to take a new deck of 10 and put it next to it. Right. And an event would happen that says, hey, all of the enemies are going to get this card added to their deck. Oh, but we have four enemies, so I got to go sifting through the card portion to find four copies. The setup and the teardown alone would be a nightmare. Mm-hmm. When an app makes a game more manageable and it gives you the opportunity to have things like random events occurring, I like that. Yeah, and I think that was a big thing with Dark Tower. But Dark Tower, I think, is really a special beast in that the tower itself is such an important thing that runs off the app. You get into just apps that are along with games. I'm trying to think here of other ones off the top of my head. Um, Alchemist, Destiny's Descent, Journeys of Middle-Earth. Yeah, Mansions Journeys of Middle-Earth. Okay, Journeys. You're moving around, and the biggest part about it is, yeah, you do have some board game that's there, but the majority of things happen inside the app. So it's like, did I really need to spend $100 or so for this game with these bits and pieces or just download a $4.99 app that would play the game similar to what I have there. Right. In Journeys, it's, it almost feels like you're, you're bored and your piece moving around. That's strictly for not just the visual representation, but the spatial relation. How far away am I from the trunk? Mm-hmm. How far away am I from the, the, the Urukai? That's strictly yeah. all that it represented. And that would be so easy to just put into the app that that's where we start to question, well, what's the board game here for? And and I think this is something now that we're getting into. I think that with Return to Dark Tower, this is starting a new chapter of apps and games. 
because it is one that works very well and complements the board game itself. Mm -hmm. Unlike here's what you need to do. And like we've been saying, the board is just a visual representation of what you're doing, not really actually physically doing something there. It's really getting something and making it a little more interesting. Yes. And they're getting an idea of how to make the app complement the game instead of being such a heavy-handed part of the game. Before we get to the poll that we posted on BGG, how about you and I just shoot back and forth some of the pros and cons with an app board with an app being used in a board game? What do you find like? What are give me a couple things that you like that you've seen an app do well or something where it really benefits a game? Well, I think one of the biggest ones, and I hate the fact that I keep going back to this, Return to Dark Tower. I felt a more immersive experience with it. Mm-hmm. It was fun whenever you would say, okay, turn's done, and then the tower would light up. Yes. And you would hear the lightning and the thunder and everything going on. I, yeah, I, I know you don't hear lightning, but you hear the thunder booming in the background and stuff. So it really does build that idea of the game thing. Yeah, you go to complete a quest uh, so and it I says, think- hold in here, and it's like, and it's like, oh, yeah. I really did just complete a quest. Yes, you really do feel more immersed in the game. I think they also give you a a great deal of variability. Like I said, with event decks, with monster movements, with rewards – just going back to Dark Tower because it's so recent with the uh, the enemy fighting cards. Like you select a couple of the cards at random and they have the ability to get more powerful. Uh, you're going to have a lot of, of ways to make your game variable if you incorporate an app and you're not restricting yourself to say a deck of 25 cards or, or 45 mm-hmm. cards or 145. You have limitless possibilities for the amount of things that you can do to change up you know, the events in a game, that the items that can be in there. What else you got pros for? I think the other thing that works out well is bookkeeping because it's, oh my gosh, here we go again, back to Dark Tower. (laughs) Whenever it says you, you have five cards that you can use against the big bad that you're fighting against, choose three of them. You choose three of them and then it automatically pops up. And it allows you, do you want to pump one of these up? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to modify it? Yeah, so it allows you to do that right then and there instead of having to search through, trying to find another card and put it on top of that. So it does make things very easy with that and and condenses a lot of the time that would be taking you out of the feeling of the game and trying to figure out, okay, um, yeah, here's the card. Yeah, easy bookkeeping, not just for gameplay, but for setup and for teardown. Because that's how yes, many decks yes. of cards that you don't, you know, how many maps that you don't have to go uh, trying to fumble through and get everything on the table just right. Right, right, exactly, exactly. You know what else we find uh, in uh, Descent 2.0? They had uh, they had different game modes. Like you can get potential updates and new scenarios, and I think they even had a, a I don't remember the name of it, but they had a game mode which was basically like a, like in Borderlands, how you can do one of those arena contests where like okay, I'm just gonna fight, and if I win, mm-hmm. I go to the next level, and if I win, I go to the next level. It just keeps getting tougher. And how many levels can I descend or ascend depending on the game? Descent had something like that in 2.0, and that's not something that you get outside of having the app. I like that. I th- Road to Legend might nah, might have just been the campaign. You get what I'm saying. You have the opportunity to yes. update a game just through a quick uh, quick release. 
No one has to right, buy anything right, physical, right. nothing. It's just, hey, download this. You got a you got a new update. Yeah, that's a great thing there. Now we've done the great things. Now I'm sure there are some downfalls. What con can you think of off the top of your head that sticks out with apps? I'll give you an easy one. We, uh, in, in contrast to the pro of bookkeeping being easy, that can mean that it's more difficult to determine precisely how a mechanism is functioning mm, in a game. Or yeah. it can make it really hard to play strategically. And I'll give you a great example going right back to Dark Tower from last week. I mean, the one game, it was like end of the turn. It was like, okay, move the frost giants and they add skulls. That one building died, thus giving me, what was it? My third, what's the bad stuff? Oh, corruption. Uh, complication? Corruption. corruption. Yes, corruption. give me my third corruption. We had no way to know that that's what was going to happen. And I yeah, think sometimes yeah. that, that ease of bookkeeping can make it so that, well, you just don't know what's going to happen next. And that does happen a lot with app implementations in these sort of adventure style games where it's like, well, things are going to happen and you, you just can't plan for it. You can try and plan for anything. Like you have to plan for everything at once because you don't know what specific thing is going to happen. Yeah, sometimes you'll be playing a game and you look at the board and you look like that way, that way, that way. There's no way I'm going to be able to win because of this, 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 or this. I, I'm i stuck. There's no way I'm going to win. Mm -hmm. But with the apps, it's just like, boom, you lose. <laughs> and it's like, well, how? What what happened that made me lose that, like, did they move to this part of the board and then block me from this? Or what happened? Yeah, Or more so, doesn't... more so, how was I supposed to know? that that was going to happen. Yes. Whenever you have everything on a cardboard form, then yes, you still have randomness from things like a, a deck of cards can make something similar happen. But oftentimes in, in a game where it's it's co-op or you're playing solo or even as a group, there are ways to try and suss out what's going to happen. Like the game has built-in mm -hmm. mechanisms for you to prepare for things that sometimes the app games don't. Yeah. And one that sticks out with me is, I mean, number one, you're getting more screen time. I mean, anymore, we are in front of computers so much or on our phones, everything like that. You have a lot of screen time you're dealing mm -hmm. with. But another thing kind of going in with that, an additional cost to the game of what are you going to play the app on? Are you going to play an app on a phone where you're passing around a phone and you're trying to see this grand battle going on on a small on screen? On an itty bitty screen. Or do you want to buy an iPad for four or $500 or whatever in order to see something bigger? So basically your $100 game now is turned into a $600 game just to have something to play that app on mm -hmm. in order for everyone to enjoy it. Because... It's one thing I know when, oh, here we go again, back to Dark Tower, because it's just so fresh. We were playing it on your phone. Mm -hmm. uh, now, granted, there was nothing wrong with that, but the idea of passing it from one person to the other person, well, the other person doesn't really get a chance to really experience what's happening with the adventure, what's happening on the phone, what's happening with all the stuff that's coming up. It's the other person that's just looking at it, reading it out. Well- why couldn't you just do that from a book? So if we're citing one of the pros as a more immersive experience is provided, maybe the con would be that, yeah, that's true for the guy that's holding the app. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it can remove that it. group camaraderie because one person's got to have this screen. I've heard of groups that'll like project it onto a wall or or onto a oh, onto a okay. large TV so that everyone can see it at the same time. I've never done that, but I think that would be really cool. We did have that issue come again, up. We we're playing Mansions of Madness Second Edition with the old uh, with the Lobster Group, and that was the problem. Was I was the app guy. You know, I had I have the mm-hmm. little phone in front of me, so I'm doing all the reading staring down. So for me, it's like, yeah. oh, this is cool. I'm so in it. But I don't know. I think everybody else was like eating Doritos, kind of just listening to me read things. And that's not what we're looking for, is it? And once again, that's another expense of that projector that you need to get in order to project it on the wall. So there's things that you may have already due to work or school or something else that you can use for mm-hmm. this. If not, you got an iPad for it to play, and then you want a projector on it, another $100 on there, your $100 game is now become Well, you could get a cable and just hook it into – most TVs now, they'll have an HDMI cable. So I think that's the, the yeah. concept. And most of us have a TV okay. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's still one of those things you just – you don't take into consideration all the extra things. Like you could sit there and think – oh my God, this game is going to be epic. And then whenever you start putting it together, well, then we have to run it on this and then we need to get this to run to that. And then it just turns into this whole big thing of trying to get everything wired in order to do this one game. Mm. I'm going to give one more one more con because this is one that we got in response to our poll a great deal. And it's that a lot of folks have this issue with an app game in that eventually that app is going to become outdated on their device or it's going to become no mm-hmm. longer supported. So if I make a board game right. and I support an app, I have to pay you know people to, to program it. And then it's got to have some upkeep done while it's in the app store. And eventually I might be like, well, we're not selling any more copies. I'm not supporting this app. So theoretically, 20 years from now, uh, your app game, the app's not going to work anymore. You're not going to be able to get it. That's a con that a lot of people cited. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to put that to rest, Scott. When we were growing up, okay. we had a copy of Clue that you needed a VHS tape to play. Oh, I had that as okay. well. Okay, my brothers, like, I think they're just joking, but they're like, dude, we need to have a game day and we need to play Clue, the old VCR version. I'm like, why do you guys want to play? <laughs> so I came up with a deal. I was like, all right, look, I'll do it. But you guys got to get the copy of the game. You guys got to learn how to play it. I'm not going to invest time aside from just playing. I think it'll be fun. And then I can talk about it on the show. So they're convinced that I just don't want to. Mm-hmm. I want to. I'm just not going to be the one that has to like set it up and learn it and all that crap. So I was like, you guys get a copy and we'll play. They immediately start going, boy, nobody has a VCR. You can get it on YouTube. Shut up. All the videos. Yeah, all the video for it. You can get it on YouTube. I used to play Chandelar. It's an old Magic the Gathering from like 1996. It was a computer game with Magic the Gathering. It was actually really good. Mm -hmm. You have an overworld and there's little monsters that can run into you. Kind of like a little RPG. You can delve these caves and find like a Mox or Ancestral Recall, (laughs) like one of the power cards. And you build up your deck. Great little game. You can't find Chandelar anymore. And even if you do, you're not going to find a computer that's going to have mm. a, a CD drive that'll run it. Right. You can download it. Oh, wow. There's enough fans of the game. You can get it anyway. So this idea that like, oh, I'm not going to be able to play my app game because, you know, nobody's going to be supporting Descent in 20 years. Some, it's just not that. 20 years from now, that'll be like creating a regular Nintendo game now. People do that in their basement on a weekend. I'm sorry, I'm just taking a note. The clue from the VHS is on YouTube. Unbelievable. That's That was your takeaway. Oh. Well, it's eventual. 
eventually it will like the app will stop working or eventually it will stop being supported. Yes. There's no question yeah. that eventually that will happen. Your copy of Puerto Rico is still going to be playable in 300 years. Mm-hmm. Your app game, it's not going to have an app anymore. But I'd be willing to bet 20 years from now that there will still be a way that you can perform the the functions of the app or download a, a, like an emulator yes, that will perform yes. the functions. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Do you want to get some of the opinions of people from BGG? Let's go down the poll. We'll get that. And then we'll get some of the the responses that we had. So we just asked a handful of questions. I want you to try and guess what people said. So the options are, and don't you go cheating. I'm not. Strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, and strongly agree. So there's five different options. Now, you don't have to like pick the exact one, but you can just say, oh, I think people are going to agree or disagree with each one. So the first one. I actively enjoy board games that incorporate an app. I'm going to say that more people. Community. This isn't a Scott opinion. What oh, do you yeah, think yeah, the community yeah. A community, says? I'm going to say as a community, more people disagreed with that. Right. 47%. Mm. Uh, and the, the biggest one was 30% strongly disagreed. Oh, wow. Many games that require an app could not be made without app technology. Uh, I would say disagree. This one actually came through with agree. Oh, okay. We had forty-four uh, percent of people agreed, thirty in the neutral, and then a handful disagreed. But the biggest one was agree at thirty-one percent. So most folks would agree that yeah, these games that use an app, they need the app. Mm-hmm. An app makes a game more thematic and immersive. I'm going to say people agreed with that. I would say that too wholeheartedly. The biggest category was strongly disagree. Wow. In fact, over half the voters were on the left side of the scale, either disagreeing or strongly disagreeing. I'm thinking, what is the matter with you? You put on a little music while you're playing Nemesis. Now, that's we're not talking apps here. I'm just saying put on the Alien soundtrack while you're sure. playing Nemesis. It is more thematic. I, I don't get what. Okay, fair enough. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in the majority. I like when an app has music and sound effects. Definitely people agree with that. Again. No. Oh, my God. Neutral actually won, but if you look at both sides, the agree side and the disagree side, disagree had more votes. Okay. Of the games that require an app, they're generally great games. I'm going to say disagree, since I've been wrong with the past two. For real. So your heart of hearts is going to say agree, or would you, would Scott personally say disagree? I'm going to say personally disagree. The community as well, uh, it came out to 36% on the left side saying disagree. Most people, 43% put neutral. Okay. So no opinion on it. Two more to go, Scott. I don't purchase app games because I don't have the required technology. Okay, I did touch on that there. So I'm going to say more people agree with that. You're saying that most people don't have a phone that could run an app? Oh, oh I'm okay. I'm thinking more of making it comfortable with an iPad or something. So I'm going to say, hmm. okay, I'll change that to disagree. Yeah, it's a it's strong disagree. Most people disagreed, but I was ju- I put that in there because I was curious how many people that are responding here are saying no, I don't like app games, and the real reason is they don't have the the capability mm, of running them. Right. And it actually came out to about ten percent of folks that responded to the poll. They don't actually have the capability of running an app, and I, I think that's going to give some form of like prejudice going in. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. The last one: many games that require an app would be better without it. I'm going to say I uh, I'm going to say that the the group as a whole say agree. They feel that the game would be better without the app. More said disagree. Oh wow. Than agree. 
most people are actually saying that these these games with an app would not necessarily be better without them. So uh, that's the results of the poll. I'll put the link in the show notes. So if you guys want to see it, maybe chime in. That's out of 280 voters at the time of recording. And quite frankly, Scott, I think this tells me more about the type of person responding on BGG than it does the actual like average Joe gamer. I cannot believe, I cannot subscribe to the idea that people feel that an app does not make a game more immersive. I, I can't believe. And if you're listening, you're like, no, dude, they're terrible. Tell me about it. We're really interactive. <laughs> we want to hear your thoughts and I'll talk with you. We're really cordial oh, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, show me the light because I love it. All right. So I went through some of the comments people had, some people voted and commented. So I looked at a couple of them here and I got one from Monica. Let's do two apiece. All right. That sounds good. Now, Monica said, I have a few games with apps. One is just the scoring app, and I can understand that. I mean, a lot of people use that for magic and stuff like that just to keep track of scores or health and things like that. But there Mm -hmm. are two where one makes the real-time stress real. That's Proving Grounds. Now, I have that game, or I think you have that game. You borrowed it. Uh, Yeah, you let me borrow it, and I still haven't played it. (laughs) And that I agree, because, yes, it gives you the sound of the battle going on in the arena, and has a timer, Mm -hmm. so you're rolling your dice, hurrying up, trying to get things done as quickly as you can. So, yeah, but it is essentially a timer and a score app. The other one I have for an app is Destinies, which sort of requires it, as the cards have QR codes. I thought I wouldn't go for games like that because I've been backing out of others. But after being shanghaied into Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition once, I went and bought Destinies. For the purpose of playing solo, it is quite nice. It would have been even better with a voice to read more of the stuff and a bit more sounds, but oh well. And I like that because a lot of games I look at, I try and look at it as a solo game. My wife's not really into playing games that much. So whenever I'm at home playing mm-hmm. a game, I'm looking more at solo type of games there. So, yeah, that would be nice to have more of a person reading the thing out and feeling like you have a game master there reading it to you and you having it exposed and brought out to you through a voice. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I think solo gaming, it shines. Yes. Because yes. that's your chance to, you know, similar to a video game where you want to hear the sounds, you want to get into the world. It's a lot easier to do that by yourself with plenty of time than it is trying to get a whole group around a phone. Right, right, right. Exactly. Scott, I'm going to have you do your second one because my two are just kind of uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek in response to the poll. So tell me what Jamie had to say. All right. Yeah. Jamie said, I'm okay with apps. The main problem is visibility. If a board is on the table, then everyone can see it. If an app is on a phone, then one person can see it. I had a tedious experience playing, once again, Mansions of Madness, where there was no projector and I was at the end of the table that couldn't hear the sound. If it had been on a large screen with adequate sound, then it might have been just just been mediocre. But the situation made it awful. I'm not sure how many people have that sort of technology, though. And I think he's referring to the projection, yeah. not just the phone, but being right, able to like, right. get it on a bigger screen, sure. And that's something there that I touched on where, yeah, you can play it on the phone. You have the technology to play it, but you don't have the technology in order to make it a rewarding experience. Lysander says, and we see this all the time, if you're creeping on BGG or looking at ratings, board games with required apps aren't board games. They're video games with physical accessories. And I picked out what Dan said in response because I thought it was gold. Dan says, well, then video games with physical accessories aren't video games. 
their board games with a video game component makes about as much sense. <laughs> See, there's a line somewhere between Skylanders and the search for Planet X, where a game with physical and digital components switches from being a video game with physical accessories to a board game with a digital component. And I think that hammers home what we were saying at the top of this discussion. We like whenever it's a digital component, not a game on the phone mm-hmm. that has some physical accessories. Right, yes. I picked out one more. Ryan says, I think these polls, I love this. I think these polls tend to prove that while app-dependent games are popular, they're not that popular among the people that like to spend all their time on a screen on the forums of a particular board game website. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have time for the app screen. Got to save it for the forum screen time. Adventures, we're always up for hearing your responses. Get in the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. You can hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Tell us your thoughts on apps in board games. We love to hear them. We are quite interactive. If you message us, you will get a message back from either me or the king. <laughs> yes, we, we do enjoy hearing what you have to say. I've said this many, many times before. Having you guys get in contact with us, it's like you're at the friendly local game shop, sitting down to play a game, and you're just having a conversation about different games. We love talking about them. We love hearing your opinions about things. We want to build this community. That's our big thing that we want to have here. Scott, let's get to wrapping up this level back. All right. So I believe whenever we do a level back or any other shows, we always end up with a level up. Patrick, how did you level up this pastime? Scott, I did something that you've done before. Oh, really? Uh, You've jumped out of a plane? Have you jumped out of a plane? Oh, yes. I had no idea. Yeah, I've done it uh, three times. You're insane. I I would never do that. I would do it again in a heartbeat. That's amazing. Well, and that hasn't been one of your level ups. (laughs) (laughs) You're instead talking about going on vacations. Scott, I uploaded some audio to ACX. I've done auditions for voiceover work and audiobook work. So with any luck, at some point in the near future, I'll be able to tell you that I got signed to do an audiobook. Well, best of luck there. That's that's fantastic. How about you? What's your level up? Well, mine was we started some spring cleaning around the house, and we've been getting into purge mode and just getting rid of things. And it's funny, whenever you find things here that you forgot that you actually had. I found a whole Chandra deck from Magic that's never oh. even been opened. It's still in the plastic <laughs> wrap. and That's probably from back when you owned the shop. I have no idea when I bought this thing. So I, I'm excited to see what other kind of things I might be finding around this house that just got tucked away there or something. So, But yes, spring cleaning, we're getting the windows open, get the old winter air out of the house and just get that fresh clean air in but then again with our weather around here we don't know if it's going to snow after an 80 degree day so who knows adventurers thanks for joining us for this level back episode of the level up board game podcast keep your ears open next episode is going to be lock up from thunderworks games yes that one there uh, you may have seen some of the pictures on social media where i was about ready to flip the table I was rather angry with things. I was looking for a shank to go after Patrick with, but uh, but hey, oh, that's, that's thematic. That's what happens in a prison. So, but yes, 
We'll talk more about it in uh, the next episode. And if you're in the Pittsburgh area, today is Thursday the 5th at the time this episode airs. Two days from now, get on down to Latrobe. We're going to be at SCG Hobby doing some gaming from 1 to 7. we got food, board games to give away, a very handsome staff that's also extending 15% off all board games for those who show up. Yes, that's going to be fantastic. And hey, who knows? There's a movie theater right by. That's the opening weekend for Multiverse of Madness with Doctor Strange. They may get a group together and go watch a movie then afterwards. Oh, we'll create a nerd herd. Oh, and we'll God, go stampeding. Yes. That'll be good times. Till next time, Scott. Okay, Patrick, you take care, my friend. Thank you so much for joining this adventure of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. There you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes. Learn more at adamhainesmusic.com. And remember, you can spend another night on the sofa, or you can get some friends together, get some adventures on the table, and level up.